Hey, welcome everybody. This is uh, chapter three of our Your Job and Halacha, and the topic is um, mortgage brokers. And Gabe, Baruch Hashem, was um, more than willing to participate, and he submitted something like 45 questions, I think. So uh, we uh, could have just taken up the whole share going through those questions, and I found some of those questions really great, great, great questions. But uh, I trimmed it down to about 10 questions, and even of those 10 questions, as, as, has, as in the past, we won't really be able to get to those, all of them. But they are interesting to see. They're fascinating, and they open up a lot of things to think about, because even though the questions are unique to mortgage brokers, but the concepts and the issues really do apply across other um, jobs as well. And as, as always, when, we talk, when we're going to discuss these questions, you'll see that these questions are a mortgage broker's questions, but they're also no, re- relevant for the consumer, the client as well, because a lot of these questions we're going to be talking about ribis, which is something that both the mortgage broker needs to be aware of, and, uh, and, and uh, equally the consumers need to be aware of, which is a big part of, of the issue. Uh, so in, in this case, generally we start right away with the questions, but in order to start these questions, I have to give a little background, and then we'll go into a little bit more depth as we go along. But first, a little bit of background about how Ribis works, which is important to know and, uh, in order that we understand the next couple of questions. So and every, uh, every mortgage, obviously, is a, a loan with interest, right? That's very straightforward. That's a loan with interest. It has a collateral, which is the house, but the loan is a regular loan with interest. Hence, if you were to make such a loan um, with a Jew, it would be a terror violation of Rivas. It would be Rivas Katsusa. You made up the amount of interest from the beginning and when you uh, issued the loan. The house is what would be known as a mashkenta. It's a mashkin. Um, it's, a, it's a collateral, but that doesn't change the status of the loan. It's Rivas. It would be Rivas Daraisa. So it would be something which would be totally prohibited to mortgage a home from a Jewish lender. And what is unique about the Issa Ribis, which is different than all other monetary halachas, is that the Torah prohibits it equally for the lender and for the borrower. So otherwise, like in other halachas, the, bar, if the person who stands to lose can always say, okay, no problem, I accept the loss. And he's Michael, right? And he says, it's fine, I'll you know, do it, no problem, and I'll, I'll, you can uh, take advantage of me. Uh, you can overcharge me, I'm aware of it, you can be Michael, and that's fine. By Ribis, there's no such thing. Ribis, it's also Torah, it's, it's like a hazard. It's like something is treif. The Torah doesn't make it doesn't care whether you agree or not. Both the lender and the borrower are prohibited. Number one. Number two. Um, what's also unique about ribis is that although in other areas of halacha, the you aren't allowed to make someone else transgress, and that's lefneiver, right? Lefneiver is you can't put a stumbling block in front of someone else. You can't cause someone else to transgress in a ver. And lefneiver has all kinds of rules and limitations. Sometimes it does apply. Sometimes it doesn't apply. Maybe if the person would do it anyway doesn't apply, etc., etc. By ribis, it's unique. Ribis, the Torah gives an individual loisase, individual lav, isa for anybody who's involved in making the transaction take place, making the loan take place. The lawyers, the brokers, the witnesses, the scribe, the, the one who writes the rights of the contract, anybody. So anybody and everybody who is involved in making the transaction happen, who's intrinsic for the transaction, 
is over a nashach. So it does not work with the usual rules of Lufna'ira. It is much more stringent. You if there is a loan that has an Isra of ribis, uh, everybody is going to be over. The lender the lender, the borrower, and the people who facilitate the loan as well. That's the next thing you have to know in order to understand the next couple of questions that's coming up. The, yeah, I'm sorry. The Raisa. It's a Siman of Nashach. It's a Raisa. Can you clarify if there's a Nafkamina, whether it's considered Neshach or Ribis, or are those interchangeable? Those are the Gemara says the same thing. Neshach and Tarbis, the Gemara says the same. Um, the the next thing and uh, the next the next concept to understand is that if so, uh, what, you know, how do we find people borrowing or lending as Jews with interest. So there is a vehicle that was created by the Chachamim. It was actually, the concept is discussed in the Gemara, but in the Gemara that concept was applied in a certain way. And then later on in about the late 1500s, probably early 1600s, the Chachamim saw the need because the majority of Jewish business was money lending at the time. Uh, they weren't really allowed to do much else. So, so uh, there was a big need to create a way for you for Jews to be able to make money from money. So they made something called a heteriska. And the principle of a heteriska is pretty straightforward. Um, heteriska is the, the foundation of a heteriska is that it's not a loan. It's a very important thing to understand about a heteriska. Heteriska means we are going into a partnership. What is the difference between a partnership and a loan? The difference between a partnership and a loan is that a loan, the lender cannot lose, right? He gets back his principal plus his interest, no matter what you do with the money. You could lose your pants in the stock market, you still have to pay. And you have to pay back everything, plus the interest. Whereas a partnership, the partner stands to lose and to gain equally, depending on how successful you are with the money. So uh, the, the number one is, there is no way that you could make a loan that's allowed by the tire. Loans are not allowed by the tire. It has to be a partnership, and a partnership means that the person lending has to take risk. He has to allow for risk that he may lose money, depending on how you are successful with your money. So then why would anybody want to do that, right? The, I, I'm willing to lend money with guaranteed return, guaranteed principal. I am not willing to lend money if I might lose it if you do a stupid investment. So how does that work? So the way it works is that it's structured as a, as a, as a partnership. And technically, if the, the guy who's taking the money uh, loses it and, and ruins it, you really lose your money. However, the if imagine in a regular partnership, right? There's a, a silent partner and a uh, an active partner, right? The one who's uh, what managing partner, general general partner. So the general partner comes back one day and tells the silent partner, "Sorry, all the money is lost. It's gone." So what's the silent partner going to say? <laughs> Prove it, right? It's very nice. You pocketed all the money, and now you're telling me it's lost. You have to demonstrate it. So in halacha, there's two ways you can demonstrate something. You can swear, or and you can bring um, to aid them. You have to bring Adam to testify. So what we do over here is, is that we require, when we write up the document, we say that anything you say, any kind of loss that you want to report, you need to swear a shvudar isa, which means you have to hold a safer title while you're swearing. So it's a very, very, very strict shavuah. And the, the way it works now is nobody makes shavuahs anymore. No Bezdin will administer such a shavuah. So basically, uh, we're telling you it's like this. You can come and say that there was a loss, and that's fine because it's a partnership, but you're going to have to prove it. So you're going to either have to bring two very uh, reputable witnesses who know everything, which is very unusual to have that, or you will have to swear, <coughs> which you most likely don't want to do either. 
So then you're just going to have to pay me, right? Because I'm gonna, we're going to assume that there was profit. So I give you another option. I'll give you one other option. If you don't want to have to swear, you can pay 10% or whatever the number is, you know, whatever the interest rate is that you're paying, pay that interest rate, pay me back the principal, and then we're, we're even. And I won't require you to swear. So that the, basically what a heteriska is, is as a partnership, and the way that you're requiring the person to pay the interest is that in lieu of him having to swear to prove every part of what's going on in the business, instead, he just pays you off and says, okay, that, and now we're, 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 we're clear. So he's paying for the not to have to make a shua, not to have to prove every step of the partnership. So even if in truth he did lose all his money, in truth he wouldn't have to pay you back, or whatever percentage of the partnership, he wouldn't have to pay back 50%, but uh, he would need to swear, and he doesn't want to have to do that. So therefore, that's, that's the way heteriska works. That's the, that is the concept behind the heteriska. That's the way every heteriska is, is um, uh, executed. Can someone choose to if they want? I'm sorry? Can someone choose to? Swear? So it's discussed in the Bible. Technically, yes. Uh, you will have a hard time finding a based in willing to execute such a Shavuot. Um, but yes, and that becomes a problem when you're making a Heter Iska with someone who's not religious. Right? Um, and tell him, listen, I'm only going to lend it to you based on a Heter Iska because you're religious, right? So you're telling him, I'm only going to lend you a Heter He says, fine, okay. Heter Iska, no problem. Piece of paper, does, reads, looks good. Um, and then he loses his money, and he says, I don't want to pay you back. He, he gets his little uh, savvy, and he says, okay, I'll swear. <laughs> I have no problem. I'll swear. Give me the safe attire. I'll go ahead. I'll swear. So there, 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 are, um, there are safeguards for that. Where the Shavua part is only for the interest. The interest is a little less guaranteed. But the principle, we can require even more than a Shavuot. We can require you to bring two Adam, and we can name who the two Adam are, which is what it says in the Heteriska, and it's the rabbi and the chazan or something. You know, it's like two people you'll never have to be able to... So that, that's okay for the principle. So you can guarantee the principle in, in, in at least that much in a little bit more of a, in a safe way. Um, so anyway, that's the basics of a Heteriska before we get started over here. And then the last thing you need to know before Gabe gets going is... Um, uh, the bigger issue nowadays is that there are different, a lot of different institutions that you could borrow from, right? Typically, you only borrowed from a bank, and now there are other places to borrow from. There is credit unions, um, and there are even private lenders, so there's a lot of different ways to get money, and each one of those has a different status when it comes to halacha, and it's questionable with ribis, and now I'll hand it over to Gabe. Go, go ahead. Take away. Okay. So, just go through the questions? Yeah. Okay. Present them. All right, so question uh, number one. If a company was Jewish-owned and is publicly traded now, is Heter Iska needed? Um, what if they are partially publicly listed, such as UWM? Am I obligated to research? Okay, so that's a... So explain, what is, uh, what is UWM? So UWM is uh, the number one wholesale mortgage company in the, in the United States. It's owned by a Jewish guy, Matt Ishbia. Uh, great guy. <laughs> the owner of the Suns? Yeah, he just bought the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Wow. That's true. <laughs> um, so it, you spoke with him, it sounds like. Um, no, no, but I've been in the same room as he. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so the... Um, so he started, it's a, is this a credit union? So his father actually started the company, and it really originally started out as a small mortgage brokerage, and then it grew and grew and grew, and in the last 20 years it's now become this massive direct lend, you know, lending operation. Where, um, do, where do they get their funds from? So that's a great question. You, I don't know the answer, but usually these huge companies have warehouse lines. Which and means? So, which means it's like a line of credit, which they have, and then they'll close the loan. They'll take the money from their line of credit, close all the loans, and then most of them they'll 
sell off. They're not holding on to any of the loans. So, so, the, loans so in other words, U, UWM doesn't actually have uh, $6 billion value in their, sitting in their bank account somewhere like other banks. Correct. They're, they're not a depository. So they, a bank is a depository. They have They just transfer. They're, they're, they're like a broker, like, as you're saying. Right. Okay. They're considered direct lender because, in essence, the warehouse line is theirs. That's their money. They're funding the loan with their own money that they're borrowing. And then they're actually only holding on to the loan for maybe 7, 10, 15 days, 31 days at the most. Right. Okay. Maybe six, whatever it uh, is. That's long enough to be a problem, but yes. Right. right. And then they're selling off the loan to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or some other right. private investor. Right. Right, right, right. So you have a Jewish guy, he owns a company. Right. It was originally private? Yes. Okay. How long has it been public? Um, very recently, a couple of years. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. so it just recently became public, and yes, it's, it's how much of it is public? I don't know. I think it's under 10%. Oh, really? That little? Yeah. So he's still 90% owner? I believe so. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you have a Jewish-owned company, a literally Jewish-owned company. Right. Go ahead. Okay, so, um, so yeah, so the question is, what if it's partially public, publicly listed, like now? It could be Rocket is more fully, it could be it's completely um, not privately owned anymore. I'm not sure about Rocket either. Um, that was part of your question. Do you have to start researching that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So, and then in general, one of the questions was, do I have to research every lender that I'm trying to make a relationship with? Like, who right. owns the company? If the if I find the CEO and his last name is Jewish, can I, does that mean he's Jewish? Maybe Freedom. his father's Jewish, yeah. but his mother's not. Right. And he's really not Jewish. He just has last name Cohen. Does the CEO mean he's the owner? Like, is the CEO right, so of uh, UWM the same guy as who owns seats? Right. It's usually so, two different people, right? So sometimes so you have on to the even, phone. You have to figure out who the, the owner is. Right? Yeah, and sometimes harder. there are multiple owners, and there's even, like, a venture capital firm that has a stake in the company as well. So it can get very um so It's very, difficult to very figure very that dicey. out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, one second. So now yeah. UWM, I believe, has a heteriska. Right, they have something called the Hetterska Klali, which we're going to discuss. That's one of the things we're going to discuss. So that's that's I think a new innovation, right? When did they start with I that? Know. I don't know. Well, not that long ago. I mean, I knew. The, I think I know the people who were involved and working out. I have a copy over here. Um, this is actually you can you have to request it, right? I have I have a copy of I have but, mine, but, which but, you, is but you have to like work it out with them, right? The brokers work yeah, it you, out. How you, does it usually yeah, work? Yeah, it's from the broker. You get it from the broker. So the broker worked out with U, UWM. So, so a couple of Rabbanim approached them and. Explained to them and, and worked out heteriskas with them, and it's there's something called the heteriska klali, which we'll discuss later. What that means, how that works, um, and here's a version of it. And it's a well-written heteriska, has a bunch of whereases in it, and uh, <laughs> so that looks right. Uh, no, but it has all the it has all the necessary components of a heteriska, which we'll which we'll talk about, and it's signed by um, Julie Plotnik, who's the account strategy director. Um, and then it's signed by the the broker, I think, and yeah, then uh, by the uh, yeah. So that's uh, so they do they do have a hatter iska, uh, but it's hatter iska klali, which we'll see is not as clear and clear cut as a, a regular hatter iska is. Hatter iska klali is a historic document, which was a lot of debate whether that works or it doesn't work. Go ahead. Okay. It doesn't need to be signed by the owner themselves, the Jewish owner themselves. Um, he can have his agent sign for him, so he has his director of strategy, strategy account strategy signing. That's fine. But why was, why what? did they sign? Why were they open to this? Were they from or um, they are not. Their brokers are. They they are not, <laughs> but um, I, it, uh, it's it's if once you explain, see, typically I, I was uh, had a, had a friend who was a lawyer. 
who's part of a lot of these deals. He says, typically you send the hetero iska, he's, he's doing a deal with from people and the lender is uh, someone non-from, right? So he sends a copy to the hetero iska to the other guy's lawyers. They say, well, my client's not signing this. Yeah, you you well, can do what you want with that. Yeah. But, but then he explains it to them and he says, you don't understand, you have nothing to lose here. There's no risk involved for you. So when if they're willing to listen, if they're interested in the business enough, and you sit down and you demonstrate to them that there's not, absolutely nothing to, lo- to, to lose, besides that the likelihood is if you pull out a heter iska in a court of law, although it is legal, a legal document, but you then have to explain it to the judge. You're going to have a hard time yeah. making it go through uh, the legal channels, so they're, regardless they're, they're covered, and the heter iska is safe for them. So once they understand that it'll bring in a lot of business, you know, the yeah, Jew, Jewish okay. business. So then they, they say, okay, why not? But uh, it takes a lot of effort yeah. to get them to the table, which was a big chiddush. It was a great thing because they're, they have the best rates, right, uh, UWM. I mean, not always, but that's why we have you. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'll say rates and service. Why is publicly owned uh, a We'll talk about that. Yeah, that we're going to we're gonna discuss. That'll be part of the discussion. Go ahead. Just, just as a side yeah. point, uh, UWM has... Basically, Rocket Mortgage has been number one nationally for many, many years. And you do, and they're both in Michigan, and UWM is like, you know, down the street from them or in another city. And so there's been this, like, Matt Ishbio is extremely competitive. So he probably may have learned that Rocket has a heteriska. He's like, forget about it. I'm getting heteriska also. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> I, I, I need to, I need to surpass Rocket. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he also yeah. deal with companies who work with Rocket, correct? What's that? And Matt UWM won't work with brokerage, work with... Rocket, is that correct? Yeah, he basically made brokers sign something that if you're working with us, you cannot work with Rocket. Huh, that's legal? Yeah, yeah. That's not antitrust? <laughs> I'm sure the lawyers, I'm sure their lawsuits <laughs> are going, but All right, go ahead. Next question. And if you do and they find out, like, you'll be fined $50,000. Oh, seriously? <laughs> wow. Yeah, so. Okay. And then from when he put that out to now, he's now become, during that period when he put that out, he, be, he became number one. Uh-huh. <laughs> that okay. must be there. Go ahead. But, uh, okay, so am, am I obligated to research whether a lender is Jewish owned or is that on the customer or the borrower, right? Because maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, there's this idea of Rove. So maybe Rove, the idea of Rove says that the majority of lenders in the U.S. are non-Jewish owned. So do I have, do I have to care right. about that or do I say, well, maybe it's the Miut is Jewish owned and I have to investigate whether this company is, uh, is Jewish owned. Great question. Go ahead. Number two. Okay, this has happened multiple times. Customer says, uh, "Looks like we can borrow hundred thousand dollars from U- Uncle uh, Usher, and we'll pay him a below market interest rate, or um, yeah, whatever it is. Let's say one, two percent, whatever the the uncle's offering." So, in my when I hear about this, I'm obligated to say, "Listen, nobody nobody thinks about ribis at that time because they never mention anything. Right. They're just like, oh." So am I obligated to come and say, listen, you should really speak to a rabbi before you proceed with this loan from your uncle? Yeah. So this is, uh, this is actually a, qu- a question not of Lisa Simon, because you're not going to be part of that at all. And it's not a question of Neiri, because you're not facilitating that at all. Uh, this would be a question of Techacha, right? Are you required of Hechech to uh, let someone know rebuke them, so to speak, let, or let them know, assuming they want to know, <laughs> of, uh, of the part inherent Issa Ribis involved, which is a very, very serious transgression, and they're going to be in real hot water if they don't realize that and they find out afterwards. It's very hard. Ribis is one of those things that if you know about it in advance and you do the appropriate preparations, it's 99% of the time not a problem. You can get around it. After the fact, 
you're so stuck, it's like bad news. <laughs> There's like very little you can do after the fact. You have to, you have to, and you just run into so much trouble. It's like one of those things, the, the little advance preparation saves you so much trouble um, advance. And, and this is a great question because um, people don't realize and they don't associate certain things with ribbons. I just got a call uh, someone for, uh, that he um, is buying a car and he wants to get it financed and his credit isn't so great. So he wants to finance it through his father-in-law, right? And then he'll be paying. So his father-in-law, so to speak, will be taking out the loan, and then he'll be paying the the he'll pay the direct, you know, the thing. But that really is ribis. Why? Because if his father-in-law takes out the loan, that means his father-in-law is the one that borrowed the money and has to pay the interest. It's his. It's under his name. He has that responsibility. And then he lent the money to you to buy the car. And if you go and pay his interest, you're essentially paying interest to him. In other words, he's just passing over the interest that he's being charged, but it doesn't make a difference. The Torah doesn't care. The Torah doesn't care that, oh, I only got this money through an interest from a guy. Now I, I uh, am going to charge you the same interest that I'm... The Torah says, that's your problem. It's not my problem. You can charge another Jew interest. So in his mind, he says, no, it's my car. It's really my loan. It's just under his name, but that also doesn't work that way. It's whoever actually is responsible. So the father-in-law took out the loan. It's his loan. He's the one who's responsible for interest. The guy who has the car is not responsible for the interest to the bank. And then if he gets, you start paying that interest, that's ribbons, right? So these are all situations where people don't put two and two together because you just you have to think differently when you think in terms of ribbons. So it would be a uh, a big mitzvah to let people know essentially, but it's not always the people want to know. Well. Uh, no, yeah, not generally it's not. Uh, you also, yeah, a lot of usually doesn't work that way. Yeah. Huh? That's it. That also is not good. <laughs> with uh, our our with the guy also is a ribbis. So that's uh, go ahead. What if he pays directly to the lender? Still a problem. It's yeah, because you're paying his loan. You're just you're just paying for him. Go ahead, number three. Okay, must must, must I provide a copy of the hetariska if the customer never requested it or even mentions anything? Is it my obliga- obligation as the mortgage broker to educate the, co- the consumer about the halakhic implications of borrowing from credit unions? Right, so this is, uh, so this is what we'll get to, but as we see, this is very, it's, you're in a, a sticky position, right? Because uh, it's your, it is your problem, right? It's not just, normally we would say, if you're doing business uh, and you're just providing a service, it's really the other person's issue. Let him deal with it. You're, you're, you're not his rabbi, you're not his rav. It's not your responsibility as a as a service provider to start getting involved in someone else's, uh, you know, religious beliefs and dealings. But over here, you will be Ivor and Isser. You, as the mortgage broker, will be Ivor and Isser because of the of So it's much more serious. It's not like you can say, okay, not my problem. Go ahead, continue. But you actually have to explain it? Or re- when you take out a mortgage, you sign, like, 500 documents anyway. Nobody reads those documents. Can you include the Heter Iska in the list Unfortunately, of documents and yes. just say uh, so, sign on the So X? we'll talk about it a little bit when we get to Heter Iska Kali, but essentially no, because, like we, I, I said in advance, is that a Heter Iska is changing the whole nature of the transaction. It's not a loan. It's a, it's a partnership. I can't put a partnership on you without you knowing. <laughs> I can't make you a partner without you agreeing, right? So you have to understand it. It's, a, it's, it's, one, it's one document that has to be understood. You don't necessarily have to understand all the intricacies of, um, intricacies of like, you know, the Shavua and the this and the that. You probably will want to understand that once you're, be, you're told that you're going into a partnership. But the main thing you have to understand is that this is not going to be a loan. This is going to be a 50-50 partnership with 50% risk. 
and that's uh, that, that that that's a necessity. Otherwise, it's not it's not a hatteriska. Go ahead. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. The way your credit union works is that each of the members of the credit union have a certain share percentage in the in the company. Right. Right. So therefore, if there's a Jewish, if there's a hundred Jewish members, you have a hundred people that are from the credit union. Then I'm in essence paying ribbis to the Jewish owners. That's correct. To the union members. Yes. Okay. Uh, number four. Well, we'll get to that. Go ahead. Yeah. That's that's largely what we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Continue. If I recommend a person to a credit union, which according to some post game is a problem with ribis, is that true? So yeah. So first, question, so, so, so first, explain the difference between a bank and a credit union. Right. So a bank is a depository. They're collecting money from everybody, and then they hold that money, and then they can lend it out. But there's not necessarily thousands of members uh, in the institution. It's like probably CEO. And I don't know exactly how the ownership works, but um, right. I mean, this is also stockholders. It's either so. It's either a privately owned bank, or it's a stock. You know, it's a stock market question. It's a question of a corporation, but it's one of those, right? So it's either a privately owned, where one person has all the money, or where the the public has the money. But that's one. That's one uh, model of a business. Go ahead. Right. It's a credit union. Credit union. My, my understanding is that there's just hundreds or thousands of members, and they each have an ownership in this credit union. And somehow, some way, they're gaining from people borrowing from that. Percentage-wise, right? Yeah. It's a percentage. So you literally have hundreds of shutum. It's not like a stock market where you have you are a partner, but you're some kind of weird kind of partner, right? Where you have a stock in um, in Toys R Us. It does not entitle you to take something off the shelf, right? Oh, Shalom, yeah, bad, bad example. Target, you have a stock, you have a, you have a, a even if you have a, a nice huge share in Target, even if you have a 1% one, 1 share in Target, right, which is very, very substantial, very, very rich, you still can't go into a Target and take something off the shelves, right? You will be arrested and sent to jail for shoplifting. So it's a weird kind of partnership. You don't, you, you have, that's why stock market, the, the, a publicly owned company is halakhically very, very hard to determine what kind of status it has because because you don't have typical kind of ownership. You just have this paper uh, ownership, you know, paper money. Whereas uh, a credit union, it's your money, right? It's, it's literally your money. So there, it's, it's a very straightforward partnership of a lot of people, you know, but we don't tell you, the doesn't care how many people. It could be 1,000, 10,000 people. Ribbis is us or maybe even less than a shovel Kushla. So there can, be, uh, there can be thousands of members, but they all control their money. I think they can withdraw whatever they want. Right, whatever the whatever the rules of the, the the credit union are, and they get a percent based on their 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 right. amount of money invested. Yeah, go go ahead. Wait, what if my postage holds its mutter, but their postage may hold its aser? <laughs> Am I over? Uh, for example, if there's a difference between Sephardic and Ashkenazi postgame on a certain specific topic, do I have to be mindful of the customer's background? Do I need to even mention this if I know the difference? Right. The difference from so this is a great question because this actually does accentuate a difference between where it'll turn from Leisesimon into Lifneiver. Meaning that if uh, Gabe's rabbi, uh, assuming it would be someone other than me, would t- say that, uh, <laughs> uh, whatever, or, 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 or if, like you say, in uh, the Sfaradi Paiskim um, would hold that something is permitted, so then you don't have a problem anymore, let's assume in all of Nashach, because it's according to the Paiskim that you follow, it's not, it's not, it's not ribis, so it's allowed. But then the other person who may be an Ashkenazi and doesn't follow those Paiskim, so for him it will be ribis. So at that, that point, it's actually a question of Lufna'iver, because you're, you yourself are fine, you yourself are covered, you have a, a Rav telling you it's fine, he does not. So you are now putting a stumbling block in front of him, because you're causing him to transgress, even though you will not be transgressing. And this is actually a fascinating style, it's a little bit off the topic, we're not going to talk about it too much, but it's a great question in Lufna'iver. I'll tell you where it comes up a lot, um, in, uh, I'll tell you where it comes up a lot is in um, restaurants. 
right? Because um, uh, essentially, Bishul Akam, according to Sfaradim, is only permitted if the, a Yid has to put it in and out. It doesn't help that a, a Yid lights the fire. Ashkenazim hold that it's enough that a Yid lights a fire. So if, let's say, you run a, a you're Ashkenazi, you run a restaurant, and the, the Yid lights, the Meshkich lights the fire, and otherwise non-Jews put the food in and out, um, and then a Sfaradi customer comes who does not, who's not aware of this. You know he's not aware. You can tell he's like on a minimal level of observance, so he's not aware. And he comes to order food. He wants to buy kosher. Are you obligated to tell him? According to you, this is not kosher. <laughs> uh, according to me, it is. But according to you, it's not. Are you obligated to tell him that? And it's, it's a huge most likely suffice him, and it's a, it comes from even a very interesting grill and Well, Even the grill and the kaolin might have Yeah, issue. everything. Everything is an issue. Um, and it, it's an interesting Gemara, a very fascinating Gemara by Rav and Shmuel that kind of had this issue. They held, they held differently about something, and one may have served the other. Something that he held was okay, but the other one didn't. And the Gemara goes back and forth whether that did happen or didn't happen. So it's, uh, this is where the, the question originates. Okay, go ahead. Okay. A unique yeah. situation here. If you can give Gabe a, a Sparty pot and someone else is seeing you with an Ashkenazi pot <laughs> yeah. right, and they're a steer to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's, that's what would create the situation. Go ahead. Okay, next section, number one. Should I be offering the borrower and should the borrower be considering the option of going with a non Jewish owned company? If doing so will make the loan process harder. In other words, I can take the loan to a number of different lenders, a Jewish owned company or a non Jewish owned company. The non Jewish one, maybe the service won't be as good on their end. Uh, maybe the servicing after closing won't be as professional. So if doing so will make the loan process harder, et cetera, um, and the ability to get to settlement will be more difficult with the non-Jewish-owned bank or company. Um, so is that a concern? So let, let, let me give you a little background to what this question involves. This, this is really involves two parts to this question. One part of this question is, is that, as we'll see, the... When you, even if you do it with a Jewish-owned company, uh, even if there is a heteriska, it's not so simple that heteriska is, you know, the best option halachically. Um, and also, some of them don't have a heteriska, and there are a number of places can hold this motor, as we'll see. But there's no heteriska, so that's even more questionable, right? So, um, are you required to let the borrower know about all these halachic implications? Where I mean, it is motor. There are places that hold its motor. There are a number of places that hold its motor. Um, so, is it your is it your responsibility? to present to him that when essentially your job as a broker is to present to him the financial benefits of one over the other. So, uh, you're again, you're a broker, not a rabbi, right? Yeah, so I, I, I don't know how lucky... Like, yeah, and it's not your, even your job to do that, right? Right, right. right. So I, you have to sit down, all of a sudden Gabe needs to bring a Shulchan Aruch with him, you know, <laughs> to, the, to, the, to, the, to the thing, and say, okay, you know, number one, you have this advantage, and this percent, and that percent, and one second. Now let me tell you about a whole other area of issues you have to consider. It seems strange that he should have to do that. Go ahead, number, yeah, number two. two. On the other hand, if a person can get the same deal from a Jewish mortgage broker... Um, as he's getting quoted from a non-Jewish mortgage broker, is he obligated to go with a Jewish mortgage broker and send him the business uh, because of the myth of giving a Jew business, assuming that the level of service will be as good or better? Um, what if the other mortgage broker is not from but is Jewish? Um, also, where does privacy weigh in? If you don't want the from community member to know your financials slash affairs, um, how does that weigh in? Does the lender make a difference in this discussion? Is it actually better to borrow from Jews to give them business? Right, you had something to, uh, to share with Yeah, so I had an interesting uh, story. So over the years I've done loans for all sorts of people. So one time I did a refinance for a RUV. Um, and so I gave an option, you know, there's, we can go with this uh, Jewish-owned company with the Hatteriska, or we can go with this non-Jewish-owned company. They're both national brands, large companies. So he said, okay, I'll avoid the Shala. I'll go with the um, non-Jewish company. No problem. Close the loan. Great. 
Um, and then another time, there was a person who had smicha, he wasn't necessarily a rav, and I basically offered him, I said the same thing, you know, we can go with a Jewish-owned company, there's a heterisco, we can go with a non-Jewish company, you know, no issue of a heterisco. So he said, which was inspiring to me, he said, I'll, let's go with the Jewish company, because that way I can give a yid panasa. And it's unbelievable, a even though the, the, the Jewish-owned company doesn't need any, doesn't need his loan, <laughs> the guy's a billionaire. But this person had a perspective of, what, how can I help my fellow Yid, even if it means that maybe I'm doing something which is not according to all post It's not it's only hashkafically, it's a chiv, isn't it? So yes, yeah, so uh, this, uh, this is a mitzvah. Uh, it's not, it's not there's, see, there's, uh, it's important to understand the distinction. There's a general mitzvah of chesed. Um, of the hechazak to assist other Jews in business, to support them, to help them, but that largely is if they need it, right? So that wouldn't apply to a billionaire. You don't have to. There's no mitzvah hechazak to buy for someone who's a billionaire. He's fine on his own. But there's another mitzvah that we learn in pasuk Parshas Bahar. Economy Adam Masecha. Economy Adam Masecha. There's a specific mitzvah that if you have a choice to do business with a Jew, uh, then you have to sell or buy or rent or rent from a Jew. It's a special. It's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to 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 to, cho- to choose a Jew Jewish business first, um, and then you know if that's not an option, then then, then anything else. And here, this is a that's what's a great challenge. I actually wasn't really able to find anybody who discussed this directly. Um, which one is better, right? On one hand, I have a mitzvah to do a business with a Jew, and on the other hand, I have a very questionable halachic deal, which involves a question of ribbis. Um, you know, one is a mitzvah deraisa, one is an issa deraisa. So, what do I do here? What should, which one should I? Do? But now there's another um, there's another twist here, which is fascinating. The other twist here, and this is also very relevant when you go shopping all the time, is that there's the lender who's Jewish or non-Jewish, but then there's also gay who's Jewish, and you're giving business to gay, right? Who's the broker? So who said? So maybe that's enough. That in other words, he's doing business with you and he's giving you the business. So he's choosing Jew, a Jewish broker and he's giving business to a Jew, who your supplier maybe is less important. I'll give you an example. You go to Shalom's, right? So you're going to Shalom's, not going to Costco. You're going to Shalom's, you're doing business from a Jewish-owned store. But do you have to buy the Jewish brand in the store? Do you have to choose Lieber's over Snyder's? Because that's the, also giving a Jew business, right? The supplier. Do you say, look, that's already history, right? That's not relevant anymore. That's going to, that's, going, that, that's Larry's issue. I am going to buy from Larry, right? So how, how do you have to take that into account? And that's, very, that's kind of over here too. The person you're really dealing with uh, is the broker. That's the person you're dealing with. So maybe that's enough that you're, you're giving that business to you and you don't have to be cons- you don't have to concern with every person down the p- pipeline, you know, if, uh, if they're Jewish or not. So it's a fascinating question as well. More so that's a great question. Yeah. It's, uh, the minig is not to, but halakhically it seems like you do have to. We'll talk if we get half time. How much more? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's also a question. So that, that we'll, have to, we'll have to talk about. Uh, I had, that that, that's one of, the, one of the sources yeah. here. Uh, I don't know if we'll have time, but it's a... What? I'll give you a different choice. Now you've done your, you didn't done your gestablis. You're going to get it from a non non Jewish uh, company. Thirty days later, they sell it to a yid, and me as the as the owner, I have no control over that. Yeah. Now what happens? That's a big that's that's a, the big problem with ribbis as well, right? That it's at any at any point if it becomes property of a Jew, you're in trouble. That is an additional problem. Loans yeah. are sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which right. are government agencies. So that's that's rare. So that's, that's, so that's why it's rare for that to happen, right? No, I'm saying you're saying the mortgage servicer is a Jewish-owned company, is a Jewish-owned mortgage servicer. 
Because they're just collecting the payments on behalf of Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Right, that wouldn't be a problem, right. But it's probably rare that another kind of company would buy out a loan, right? Well, like a they, they buy company. the servicing rights. But not the loan itself. Right, right no. That would be Most, rare. There are some loans, like the jumbo loans. Um, those are usually... Or like the more private equity buy them, they have Jews that are... The jumbo loans, in, uh, yes. That's uh -huh. not Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. So, so that does happen also. Yeah, they just buy up the debt. Issue, actually. So all I know okay. is, me is me is the, you know, I, my first coupon was due to company one, and my second through the end are due to company yeah, two. It could, yeah, it could. I don't know who's behind the thing. All I know is the company's changed. Correct. Yeah. The first company was not Jewish, but the second company was. Right, but I'm saying, if I, 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 I will that, say even that the uh, underwriter might be Freddie Mac or Freddie Mac. I'm still paying my interest. No, but no, that does. It goes. It goes to that. It's going to Freddie Mac. They own the loan. They own the loan. Yeah. Actually, I will say, you know, I know. I, I, I refinanced. How I did. Know? I did with you, with UWM. I think when I refinanced. You can, you can look up if your if your loan is owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. You can look that up. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I think I, I, I did refinance with UWM, yeah. and I did use the Hatteriska, um, and then like a month later, you know, you get this notification that your mortgage is still going to be serviced to do the same thing, but it'll, it's owned by a different thing, and I was very happy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just one month, which I didn't even know if I paid interest in that month, the first month, I I'm not even sure if I paid interest yet. Um, you paid at closing, though. You paid oh, yeah, purchase, right, you I paid a percent, yeah, right, right, which is an issue. But in any case, I was happy that it was, I didn't have to rely on it for more than a month. So, Is Mr. Ahead. Cooper Jewish? Servicer. Okay. Because they don't know the right. um, Isn't it true that it, uh, as far as Rivis, uh, when uh, we're lending money to a, uh, to a, sorry, we're borrowing money from any Yehuda, we're not really supposed to borrow with paying Rivis. And we're lending to another year, it does make a difference potentially whether he's a Shammar Shabbos or not. So we're looking at groups of Yidden. Some of those things make a difference. Some of them don't. But I'm not going to get that deep into the the, the intricacies. Not so much. Not so much over here. No. But continue. So for the last question, I need to provide a little bit of background. Basically, when you let's say you buy a house, you close on a loan, and then you want to get a new loan before six or seven months have passed. So basically, there's kind of like a rule that. If the homeowner, you're the homeowner, you're the home buyer. If the home buyer pays off their loan, so either you, let's say, you win the lottery, you pay it off, you get an inheritance, you pay it off, or you get a new loan to pay off the existing loan called a refinance. So if you do that before six or seven months, then basically the original mortgage broker that helped you with the purchase of the home or the previous refinance basically has to pay back the compensation that they earned from that first deal. So now the question is. Um, so having said that, so let's say that if I know that a homeowner used a Jewish broker on his last loan, can I come in as the new mortgage broker and offer them to refinance knowing that they just closed, let's say, three months ago? You're going to save money by refinancing to a, to a lower rate, um, but by me refinancing that loan, I'm going to cause the other mortgage guy to basically have to pay back his compensation from the loan. Am I causing that guy a loss? By refinancing your loan. This is also this is a great question, which is very unique to mortgage brokers. You're exotic for thinking about these things. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I find a lot of these questions very inspiring. Now I will say that, and and there's some I didn't even include all of them. Some of them are very very inspiring. But um, I will say that that uh, this is a very interesting question because typically the rule is that competition, the terrorist supports competition, um, and there's almost nothing. Okay. 
there's almost nothing that's limited by halacha. People, it's a very big misconception that people have. They think that they're protected by halacha. You can't compete. You can't uh, do better. That you know, you can't open up a store right across the street from me. It's not true. The Torah says, you know, the example the Gemara gives is that if he's distributing uh, almonds to entice children to come by by him, so you uh, distribute peanuts. You know, they say compete. There's, there's no, you have no rights. Everybody is is equal. Terrorism to capitalism. However. There is an exception, uh, and this is the reason why this is different is because that's future profit. That's potential profit. Potential business. Potential business, that's fair game. You, wanna, you, wanna, you think it's yours? It's not yours. We can both fight about it. This is, you already got that profit. You already made that money. It's in your pocket. And now if I compete with you, I'm going to make you lose that money. That's very, very different. And that's very unclear how we would look at that. Is that okay or is that not okay? Uh, now, the reason why there is a twist here is because, well, who says the only person that should be considered is the other mortgage broker? What about the client, right? The client stands to gain over here. Um, and he's the person that's supposed to be getting serviced, right? So maybe we should take his, uh, his, him, his concerns into, in, into consideration, right? I'm sorry. Which is also possible, right? right. Uh, assuming we hear, I think the better question is: if I can delay, if we can stall. somehow work it out that it works for everybody until the let's right. stall a little bit, and then right. it's also get, an option. He keeps his compensation if that's an option. You get your right. lower rate. But I'm, I, I think the better question is: is you want to you want to present this to your client. Right, you want to you, you want to send him, you want to uh, present him with this business. Let's say he didn't even, he didn't come to you. You don't have what uh, what Ali is saying, right? You you, you want to reach out to him and say, look, I have a there are great rates now. I have access to great rates. That's why this is a very good question. Okay. And also, am I obligated to research and look in the land records yeah, to see who, who, who did the last loan? Right. Right. Or do I just right. uh, that? I imagine you don't put, have to. That's already that's putting a lot of tickets into this. Yeah. Okay. Let's skip to the last question. One second. Yeah. Let's just skip to the last question. Number four? Uh, the Hashkafa question. Okay. I like that question. If I'm close to closing a deal, so basically, just a little bit of background, <laughs> usually depending on what business industry you're in, there's a certain um, period of time where you're kind of on the phone and you're explaining things and, uh, you know, certain things take some time to explain. Um, so let's say you get on the phone, call comes in and you're explaining the home buying process, the contract, how things work. Um, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, it's, you know, shkiz in five minutes, or mincha's coming up, what am I going to do if I don't leave now to drive to the mincha, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss Minion. So, question is, am I obligated to um, stop this conversation, which is going really well, right, and I'm like building rapport, and I'm teaching them, and they're seeing my expertise, am I obligated to stop short, and possibly... You know, especially if it's a call from out of the blue, out of nowhere, like, it's so unprofessional to just... I love this question, everybody. The question is the answer for me. <laughs> this particular question. I, I don't know exactly what the answer is. But I think the, to ask the question is already the answer. And I just, that's why I just want to, that's why I put this on here. That's a, it's a wonderful question. It's relevant to everybody in some way or form. So it's a uh, well, meeting with, yeah, you know, there's so many ways this comes up. There's so many ways that this is, this is applicable. It's something, it's just a wonderful thing everybody should think about. And obviously, I don't think there's one answer to that question. It probably depends on a lot of different things and the situation and what's at risk and what's at stake and your reputation and et cetera, et cetera. But it's definitely something that should be on our minds. All right, Shkayach. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's address some of these questions because there's, uh, this is fascinating. There's a lot of history over here also. 
Um, so really, there's a whole, a whole bunch of things we have to under, understand, which are, some of them we explained already. We explained already how Isseribus works and how Isseribus is unique, that it involves all the parties. And what, now what we really have to start talking about is the publicly traded lenders. What is their status and how Heter Isca will work with them? So a little history over here is that um, I don't know at what point it became a thing for banks to start lending money, but the, the concept of, 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 of lending money, you know, obviously has a very, very long history. Like Shakespeare wrote about it. It was, uh, it, it's, it was something, and as I said, it was a Jewish business, and that's why, I mean, you mentioned before that the Torah discourages taking interest even from a non-Jew as well, but nonetheless, it became the only form of um, parnasa that a Jew could have at some point in the Middle Ages. So then, Tysus already writes that, being that we don't have any other option, then that's it's okay to to uh, to pursue that line of business. So money lending was a Jewish business for a very very long time. But at some point in uh, at I don't know exactly at what point it became very um, ubiquitous. But in in, in mid 1800s is when you know banks got bigger and bigger. And and started lending, and then there were Jews that owned par- parts of the bank. And essentially, uh, really, if you deposit money in a bank, I guess you're kind of like a partner in the bank, essentially, right? Because uh, they have your money, and they're using your money to lend out. That's what they do with your money, right? They invest it, they lend it to people. So it became a question, uh, what is the status of those banks? Because they pay you interest with, yeah, for your money. Right. So in other words, basically, this, I'll tell you what the way this started. Uh, the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, right, Rosh Hashanah Street, um, was in the 18, mid-1800s, or 1850s or so, he was presented with this question, and he writes in Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, unequivocally, that a Jew uh, is prohibited from depositing money in a bank, um, or borrowing money from a bank. Why? Because he says amongst, amongst the people who have money in that bank, or are partners in that bank, or who have, who the capital, is, their capital is being used are Jews, undoubtedly, there are Jews there, right? Some percent, minority, but there's a percent of Jews. So if you put deposit money in the bank, they're going to use your money to lend to those Jews, so that you're, you're the lender of Ribis, and, getting, and, and, you get, and you're getting, you get those, that percent in terms of what the bank offers you, right? The bank offers you whatever percent. Why is the bank offering, offering you that percent when you have a savings account? Because they use your money to make money, right? So that's why they give you a percent when you deposit money in the bank, because they, they use the money for money. So you're essentially lending a Jew, so it's a problem. And likewise, if you um, withdraw money from the bank, you are a, you're borrowing from another Jew who had deposited money in this bank. So he says, no banks for Jews. <laughs> that's what the Kishore Shulchan wrote. Um, there was another great uh, Paisik of the time, the Shah Lameshev, who was uh, well, the, basically the premier um, and the Meshev of, the, of his generation, like his thousands of chuvas, and everybody was uh, really consulted with him. Um, and he very, very strongly disagreed with uh, Kitzur Shulchanarach to the point where he wrote him a letter that he should retract it. And in his, in his later editions, he should take it out. The other was wrong, um, which he did not listen because it's still there. So, <laughs> so it doesn't seem like he he he, dis- he agreed. But the Shalomayish strongly disagreed, and a number of other Paiskim disagreed as well. But the question was, well, he has a point, right? So why is he wrong? And here is where it gets really interesting, right? Why um, he why we would disagree with him now? To you to to make this a little bit clearer. Um, the, the way banks work today are very different than the way banks worked then. The way banks work then is much more like the way a credit union works today. 
right? So a credit union today is this conglomerate of just a lot of people that put their money for the sake of it getting lent out. That's what a bank used to be. The, bank, the banks weren't publicly traded, they weren't really privately owned, it was just a way for people to deposit money and kind of trust the bank to make money on their money. And that's what a credit union is, right? The credit union is, is that you're giving money to the credit union so that you're becoming a partner, whatever money you've given them, and you trust them to manage the loans and to take to, to be insured against uh, the, the loans that default, and you know, however they calculate the risk and all the work, you just give them the money, you're investing with them, and then they lend out your money. So that's the way banks used to be. And that's why credit unions are so much more of a problem today than banks are. Now, banks today are really huge global companies that nobody even owns a fraction. Uh, you know, even if you're a Saudi prince, you only own a fraction of a percent, right? There's so much money in, in these banks, billions and billions of dollars. So the Chase Bank, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest, the biggest uh, shareholder has only a fraction of a percent. So the, the, there is a really a different kind of question. As we explained, that's much more how we look at publicly traded companies, how we look at stock market ownership, you know, does that have any real, that, are you considered a real owner of this company? So that's why banks today, you won't, you probably never heard in your life, someone saying, oh, you know, you should think twice before you put your deposit your money in your bank because there are some Jews who, you know, who, who are likely shareholders. You probably never heard that because that's, you know, that's, that's very hard to imagine that that should be uh, an issue. But with credit unions, it became a much more of an issue and there was a whole culture about it because credit unions do resemble the bank that the Kitzur had an issue with back then in 1850s. But, as, as we're saying, the Kitzur Shulchanar held it was a problem, but the Shalom Eshev said it was not. Amongst the, the people who wrote about it was not just the Shalom Eshev, there was um, Shalom Eshev, Marshag, also around that time, a little later, uh, others. And the question is, what was the Heter? And this is where it gets really interesting, because they have these Heterim, and they're saying it's Mutter, but they're very hard to understand how you could uh, uh, just, uh, it's just hard to understand. Let me give you an example. The Shalom Eshet says the heter is because ein shliach Right? What does ein shliach mean? It means like this. The guy who, you, you, let's say you're depositing uh, money with the bank, with this credit union, and you want them to lend <coughs> the money on interest. Right? Let's say everybody's Jews, just for argument's sake. Right? Forget about the, any non-Jewish component here. Everybody's Jews. So you give money to the credit union and you want them to lend money with interest. So you're basically appointing them to be your proxy to lend your money with interest. Well, ain't shliach right? So you can't make a shliach, you can't make a proxy to do an avera for you, to, do, to, to sin for you. So it doesn't work, right? So therefore it's permitted. Okay. One second. Money was lent. <laughs> it blo- someone owes money to someone, right? So even if this ain't shlichadaravera, the bottom line is there is a document here that says that you Jew owe money to that Jew, right? So forget the shliach, forget the middleman, right? They were very nice that they, they executed it for you and they did it all for you. But the bottom line is today there's a loan document that requires him to pay him. So what? Who? Why would we care that ain't like, Where is normally ain't shlichadaravera? Normally ain't shlichadaravera is like I say, listen. I have a great deal for you. I have all the information about this bank. I know all the ins and the outs. I work there. I'll set you up. You're a professional thief. Go steal it, and then we'll split the money, right? So I made you my proxy to go steal for me. So this is Einstein Chodavera. He is the burglar. You are not. You are absolutely held not responsible according to the time. If you take the money, you have to give it back. 
but you're not, you haven't done a sin, because he sinned, even though you set him up, and not a nice thing to do, but but that's not relevant over here, because over here, there's a loan, and you are, he owes you the money, so you can just kind of forget about the middleman, so it's very hard to understand. Likewise, they say the same kind of swara, also, it doesn't make sense, because the bottom line is, but there, this is what Shalom Yishu says, right, so that he's saying it's much because of this, but it's very hard to understand. Then there's another kind of swara, that another uh, group of pais can say, and they say that the heter is because um, they say the heter is because of rife, right? The majority of the owners are are non-Jewish, which is not a problem. So now we know there's two ways rife could work. There's two ways majority could work, right? Let's say in terms of, of food. So uh, one way rife could work is what we call halchanach rife. Halchanach rife means like this: you have um, you have uh, in in uh, uh, in your freezer, let's say, for example, you were mafresh challah, right? So you took challah off uh, off the dough, and that's usher to eat. That's treif now, right? But you want to burn it with the chametz and our pesah, so you stuck it in your freezer. People do that, right? Um, and it was there, and then you had a whole bunch of other dough there, and, and then it got, all got mixed up. So you don't, know, you don't know what's what now, right? So now you have a mixture of dough, which is usher to eat, that's the challah dough, and you have a bunch of dough that's mutter to eat, and you don't know what's what. So there we say bittel berev. We say that since separate the majority, they don't, well, they're separate, but you just don't know which one is which. So now we say bittel bura. Bittel bura means that since the majority is permitted, everything becomes permitted. That's called bittel bura. Halchanach would be when um, someone uh, delivered food uh, to your uh, front door, and it um, looks like very kosher food. I don't know. They they delivered a let's say a cheesecake to your front door. It looks kosher. Um, and the, in this whole city, where they, the only place they could have possibly gotten cheesecake from, there are nine stores that sell kosher cheesecake, and there's one store that sells trefa cheesecake. So Halkanach means you can assume it came from the kosher store, right? I don't, don't try this at home. I don't advise it, <laughs> but, but it's very rare this is the case anyway. But, uh, but that's the halacha, Halkanach So there's two ways that Lerav can be applied. Either you can make everything mutter, or you can just assume that something came from somewhere. Now, so they want to apply both of them here. They want to, one thing they say is that you know, you got money from the bank, we could say the dollars you got were the, the, the non-Jews' dollars. You didn't get the, the Jews' dollars that he put in, right? So the non-Jew put in $100,000, the Jew put in $20,000. So the, 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 the $500 that you borrowed was from the $100,000 of the non-Jew, not from the $20,000 of the Jew. That would be Hulchanacharif, right? You assume it came from the non-Jew. Or they say Bittelbarif. It all became non-Jewish money. Both of those things don't make sense. Right? The, the second one, for sure, you can't be mavatl someone's money. I mean, it would be a great way to steal money, right? I'll take your money, and then I'll mix it with my money. <laughs> and then the majority is my money. So now it's all my money. Now you're laughing. The Gemara actually asks this. The Gemara speaks about this. Uh, and the Gemara is talking in terms of places where your ownership makes a difference in, in other things, like uh, the need for an Erev, Erev Tchumen, all these kind of things. So Yomar says, there's no bittel by money. My money stays with money. It can't make it out of your money. So that, that is just very, how does it make sense? How do you apply bittel here? So one of the Paiskim who deals with this says, well, you're right. But the way it works is, is that it removes the isser part of it, right? Now there's lending with ribbis as an isser. So it kind of takes that off of it. So it's still, it's hard to understand. Like I said, the other thing is Halkanacharayev also doesn't make sense because when there is a bank that has $100,000 of a non-Jew and $20,000 of a Jew, when you get $1 bill, it's, uh, it'll be that exact ratio, right? It'll be 10 to 2, to two ratio of 10, is 10, 10 of it is, uh, 
is the, the non-Jews, every cent will be divided up. That's the way it works, because money is not a thing, it's, no, it's not a piece of, right? Money is, is just a, is a concept. The, is, the way the Gemara calls that is that once your money gets into the hands of whoever took the money, then it's not a, a physical thing anymore. It's just a, it's, it's an amount you owe, and then it becomes a percent, that's all. So there's no, you can't say, oh, this is his dollars, this is this. there is no his dollars, or, or my dollars, there is no dollars, it's just, it's just value. So, again, very hard to understand. But understand, when I say it's hard to understand, this was the majority opinion. And this is what everybody was doing. If you deposited money in the bank, up till the point where banks became publicly traded, this is what you were relying on. And everybody deposited money in the bank. That's not a new innovation, right? That was the thing. They, you know, pillows and mattresses went out of style. And you started putting your money into, into banks, especially if you were a bigger businessman. So... At that point is when they try to figure out another approach. And the next approach was uh, a Heter Isker Klali. Right? And especially where you had smaller banks that had a lot of Jewish owners, that's when they try to come up with a concept that maybe let's go to the bank, let's approach the bank, and let's tell the bank that from now on, every loan that you execute, at least with Jews, will be subject to the terms of a Hatteriska, right? We'll put it into the bank bylaws, like you were saying, you know, there's hundreds of those documents that a bank makes you sign, we'll, ha- we'll add in another one, and this other one will be the Hatteriska. Now, the problem with that is the fact that, as I said earlier, you do have to know what you're doing, right? For a Hatteriska to work, it has to be a partnership, not a loan. So uh, how exactly is that going to work, that the bank knows because it's in their bylaws, but everybody else doesn't even read through all the papers, so they don't, they don't even know. So this is why it went up and down, and we got very complicated whether this works or not. So initially, the way this thing was uh, presented was by a Rav, whose name was Rav Israel Eger. Uh, he was actually a great-grandson of Rabbi Kiva Eger, but he was a Hasidic great-grandson of Rabbi Kiva Eger. He was the, he was the grandson of Rabbi Label Eger, one of, one of Rabbi Kiva Eger's grandchildren, uh, Rabbi Shlaim Eger's son, Rabbi Label Eger, became a rabbi. He was a Talmud of the Chidush Arim, and then he became a Talmud of the Kotzker, and then he became a Talmud of the Ishbitza as they passed away, and then he became his own rabbi. He was a rabbi in Lublin. So, uh, and he was Rabbi Label Eger, and then his grandson took over his position. This was Rabbi Zil Eger, and he uh, unfortunately died in the Holocaust. So he, he was alive till the Holocaust. Um, so he wrote, a, he wrote a whole idea of this Hetrisca Klali. This is the first thing over here. There was this thing, this uh, top right over here. It's called Kaivis Drushim. This is a fascinating. Eitzar Chachma, it's great. They preserved all this for posterity. But this was a, um, a journal that was published by Polish rabbis. Polish Rabbanim. So he put this out in his journal, and he presented it to all the Rabbanim of Europe. And he said, here, this is my idea, and I'm inviting all of you to write back to the journal, and whether you agree with my idea, you don't agree with my idea, right? Pre-internet, or pre-email, or pre, you know, there was no other way, how else are you going to get in touch with all the Rabbanim of Europe and get them to interact on a public forum? So he did it with this journal. So take a look, just let's read a little bit of how he, he presents it. Hine. Zekavir, uh, it's already a while. I'm not able to rest. And I've been so sad to see. There's a big pirza, a big problem in keeping the Tyra. The people are transgressing the Isser of ribbis of interest that has so many problems involved. And the, the Jew, Jewish honesty depends on this. 
So many people are transgressing this. Why? Anybody who has any kind of business in the world, I borrow, I, pay, I, I, I sell, I have credit, I buy on credit, I pay on credit. Right? So there, people are constantly buying on credit and they are being charged interest on taking credit in every kind of business, every kind of retail business, every kind of wholesale business. There's constantly credit and there's, there, there's a charge for credit. And they weren't, uh, they weren't that conscious of the need to make a hatar iska in order to do that. Either because they don't know, because they don't care. Mostly because they're just too busy. Every, these deals have to be done quickly. They're also embarrassed. They're very worried. Right? You're gonna, you know, you're trying to establish a good reputation with someone, and you tell them, "Oh, I'm sorry, I need a hatarisk before I do business with you." This is a very nice. Thing. I'm gonna do business with the next guy who doesn't require me to sign these extra documents. So they're gonna worry that they're gonna lose their credit. They're gonna lose their credibility. The hamalva misyare and the person who's lending is worried. Ula yafsed a rib is miyamechad. He's going to lose the interest benefit for a day. She amoyes munachas lebeloyer vachem and he won't make any money that day. Viyesh kama meis machenib bnei yisrael amesarsrim baver. Then there's many people who are brokers and they're also doing averes. Hazayis amisparnasim izan. That's their parnasa. Umagam haoiskim bahabankim and the people who work in banks. Miyar benafshet lidrash hatoiska. Who's going to start in a bank saying, "Oh, sir, you need a hatoiska." And so many of the people who funded these banks were Jews. And so on and so forth. So this is a problem. So let's skip to the next um, column where he comes up with his idea, these bold, bolded letters. Stop at the top of the sec- next column. So therefore his idea is Every person, before you go into business, okay? So when you turn whatever it is, 25, 30, you go into business for the first time, this is what you need to do. You have an obligation. You're invited to the Rav, and you have to write one time with... uh, uh, with the Rav, Shabuchal Ir, Shakala Sakim, all your business, she asked something. Well, but why is any business you can do with money? Hain Mashin Lachem, whether you give to others, Hain Mashin Kam Lachem, what you take from others. Made who Al Atzma, you're testifying about yourself, Shual Oifen Iska, you will only do it not alone, it'll only be a partnership. According to the way Chazal allowed it. Or even if you forget about it, or you won't be able to talk about it clearly at the time, because you're embarrassed, however comes out, it'll be outside Hatteriska. Okay? So what does this sound like? Before you start, what does it sound like? Taras and exactly. You said you're basically doing a Taras and right? It's the same way a Taras and in Arab Rosh Hashanah you say, Oh, Nedra, Shani Yasa, it's Kiyas right? So, even if I forget it, it's, uh, it's as if I never did it. So, here you're saying, Any business I do, any job I do, whether I can talk about it, whether I can't talk about it, whether I remember, whether I don't remember, it's all a Hatterisk, it's never alone, and therefore all is good. And then there was part of the back and forth, the other Rabbanim who wrote, some of them said you should do it during Hatterisk, right? That should be the one time a year you should write this, you shouldn't just 
just do it once in your lifetime. You have to remember, mind yourself, or you do it during a tarasadar. Other Rabbanim said, no, don't do it during a tarasadar, because not everybody does a tarasadar. It's funny, because like now everybody does. But in those days, I don't know, everybody went to shul out of Rosh Hashanah. So not everybody did a tarasadar. Do it by Mechiris Chametz, because everybody sells the Chametz. They want to be able to drink their schnapps after Pesach. So everybody did Mechiris Chametz. Do it by Mechiris Chametz. Others say, make sure that the Rabbanim don't charge for the service. Because <laughs> they're going to say the rabbis came up with a new thing so they could charge for it. Right? They said, yeah, everybody has to make a headdress, and I have to pay for the service. Anyway, so the, that was part of the back and forth, the practicality of it. But they said everybody should make this hetarisk. So part of the problem, they say, is uh, now a lot of people answered. It was very fascinating. From all across the spectrum, Rav Aaron Cutler answered. His father-in-law, Rav Issa Meltzer, answered. The Mermeir Arik answered. A lot of the Sidi answered. All across the spectrum, a lot of people held of it. They didn't hold of it. One of the main problems they had was the problem that we're saying is that a hetarisk doesn't work if you don't know. It's a partnership. You have to know you're going into a partnership. What does that mean? Uh, I'm doing a hetero iska, but I don't want to mention it. Why don't you want to mention it? Because you know they're not going to agree if you mention it. So then what does it help? You're saying, oh, but that's really what it is. It's not. If they're not going to agree, so the fact you're not telling them, but you told your rabbi that that's what it is, it's not going to help. Why can't it be like Mikhir's comments? It's like, you know, you're the shalia, but we don't know... After that, we don't... Because you're trusting me to do whatever it is, right? You're kind of putting it in my hands, right? And you're saying, okay, you take care of it. Why didn't they make it like that? Like, all businesses have to go through the basin of the rub. So, because they didn't want to do that, right? I'm doing business. I'm I'm trying to buy and and take out a credit line and pay you. I'm going to say, okay, one second, I'm going to sit down with the rabbi. No one was going to do that. That was the the whole problem. Nobody was doing it. Nobody was conscious of it. So this was was the problem. But this was the first... This was the first version of a heteriska klali, where someone wrote a heteriska that was kind of covering all situations. Eventually, it developed into what they have for modern-day banks, for like all Israeli banks have a heteriska klali, where it's part of the bylaws of the bank. And that's over here the, on the bottom uh, is um, Rav, um, Rav Blay Zatzal. He wrote the premier Sefer on Hilchus Ribbis, the very first modern Sefer on Hilchus Ribbis that dealt with all these issues, was his Sefer called Bris Yehuda. It propelled him into greatness. He was, he was an unknown person, actually. He was, uh, originally, he was actually a banker. He, uh, he worked in a bank. Brilliant, brilliant. You know, Tom Chacham Rabloi. Um, and then uh, after seeing all the issues in banking and understood finance very well, so he wrote a whole Sefer on Ribbis. It was fat, fat Sefer on Ribbis. And he went for Askama to uh, Diane Weiss, who was the, the head of the Badat Seyed Echerides in Yerushalayim. Diane Weiss looked at the Sefer and he says, I have a different job for you. Quit your job. <laughs> and I'm hiring you on the, on, on the Badats. And then he became part of the Badats and eventually became, you know, I, he was still alive when I was in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, he wrote, uh, he wrote a, the, a monumental work on Chayshim Mishpat. Basically, he went, wrote on the whole Chayshim Mishpat, similar to what he did with Ribis. He wrote on the whole Chayshim Mishpat where he goes through all the modern applications of each area of Halach and Chayshim Mishpat. It's uh, you know, an amazing, amazing safer, on parallel. So anyway, so he writes about, I don't have to read it inside over here, but he writes that if it's going to work for a bank, he says it could work, but it needs to be, he says, not just that you got some teller to write the, the heteriska, that's not going to work. It has to be that the board of the bank agrees to it, and the board of the bank puts it in part of the bylaws that any loan that's uh, executed, as long as the customer wants it, it is done according to the heteriska. It is a partnership, not a loan, according to these rules, and it has to be actually in the, the, the actual bylaws of the bank. So Israeli banks have that. Israeli banks do have that as part of the bylaws. They also have a big sign on the wall in Israeli banks that says that all these the loans are being done up here and it has, I think, a whole language on the wall. So that's, that's the way that is done, which is good. In Lakewood now, um, there is a bank in Lakewood that opened recently, a couple of years ago. I forgot the name. That they, what? 
What is it? I think it's Cross River. Uh, could be. Uh, there may be more than one. Uh, and they will actually do a Hatter Iska Prati with you. They will do a personal Hatter Iska with you, which is even great, right? Because the Hatter Iska Kali was not 100%. And then look at the last line over here of this uh, piece in Bris Yehudo, the part that starts, Baharaitzah. Take a look over there. Baharaitzah If someone wants to be Machmer on himself, They don't want to do business with a bank and anything that has a real Chashash Ribis. It is a valid Chumra, right? So, in other words, to not, not want to use a Heter Iska, that's not such a valid Chumra, because Heter Iska is really established halachically. Heter Iska is no problem to use. But a Heter Iska Kali is not so straightforward, but that is it. There's enough to rely on, but that's a valid Chumra if you don't want to rely on a Heter Iska. Just in terms of what Gabe was asking, uh, should a person choose to say, you know, I'd rather do business with a non-Jewish-owned company rather than rely on a Heter Iska Kali, there is definitely something to that, right? Because a Jewish-owned company, even if there is a Heter Iska, it's a Heter Iska Kali. It's this kind of general Heter Iska. You're not actually dealing your, you're not negotiating the terms of your particular loan with them, so it's not as simple, and there is definitely room um, to be machmer on that should you choose and, and to do so. That would supersede giving business to That's you. a good question. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, which whether it would supersede giving business. I don't know. But it's, it's definitely something to take into consideration. It's a consideration for uh, at least the buyer to decide. I don't think it's the obligation of the mortgage broker to present chumras. I don't think that's your obligation, but it's uh, if they ask you, you know, you can refer them to it. You know, you don't have to, you, you can be honest about it. Definitely, I don't think it's your obligation to present that to them. But it's 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 pretty much it is very well established. The bigger issue today was the fact that the credit unions, not all of them, have um, uh, Hatteriska. Like I think, like you said, Rocket, right? Rocket is a credit union, also. No, Rocket is is a mortgage lender. They're a mortgage lender. Who, who? What other credit unions are and there? They're publicly listed. I don't know. Right. What other What other credit unions are there? That you well, he mentioned uh, Penfed, right. CQ. Okay. So yeah. So those those not all of them have Hatteriskas. And a lot of times, you know, mortgage brokers will prevent present you with those options because they they have the best deal at the time. And those, a credit union that doesn't have a heteriska, then you're really relying on all those paiskim back in 1850 that were trying to find a heter why you could borrow and lend from a bank, which was essentially at the time a credit union. Now, the thing is, is that um, they, they permitted it, and that's really what all clients were doing at the time. Uh, but then, you know, once things got became public companies, so then Rav Moshe wrote his tshuva, where it was said it's much better and it's, it's all better, the funny thing is, Ramesh has a tshuva to a credit union. Someone wrote to him about a credit union, and he told them how to write the Hatter Iska for the credit union. And people were assuming that uh, that demonstrates that Ramesh held credit unions are a problem, and you need a Hatter Iska, and you can't just rely on the typical Hatter. But someone did some research, and this particular credit union um, was, uh, was a bunch of Jewish farmers that could not get any insurance from the non-Jewish companies back in the 1920s or something, whatever. They were being discriminated against. So they formed their own credit union. And uh, here's the name. The president, the vice president, and treasurer was Rosenberg, Rosenblatt, and uh, Reichman. The, uh, the board of direct were, directors was Mermelstein, Cohn, Benenson. So there were, there were no non-Jews. It was all a total Jewish credit union. So that's why, obviously, they needed to write a, uh, a heteriska. There was no, there was no heter over there. So sometimes you do have to know the background of, uh, of, of these chubas, what's going on. But anyway, as I said, credit unions, there is, 
it, it's definitely a very strong argument to say that there, it's a established heter, um, and that's a good case where you would have your Shaila, not Sfardi and Ashkenazi, but where some people would be going that uh, David Feinstein held it was a problem, which will come held it's a problem. So uh, one set of Feinstein might hold it's a problem, and someone's will say a Talmud of Yeshiva Philadelphia, he most certainly would want to know what Rishmuel Kamenetsky holds. Um, whereas you, um, you know, your, your rabbi might hold that it's not a problem, and you can certainly rely on these other paiskim. So here you have an issue. You don't know. what Should, should you tell this person that you, you should be asked, speaking to your shashiva? He might uh, not want it. And that, that is a very interesting, that's definitely a very interesting Alifna uh, Iver question. Um, just uh, one quick thing. We'll finish with this. Uh, the last piece here you can look at inside if you want. But uh, in terms of buying and selling from a Jew, there's a very interesting question because the Torah requires you to buy and sell from a Jew. And renting is also like buying. But what about hiring a Jew? Is there an obligation to hire a Jew over a non-Jew? Is there part of that part of the mitzvah or not? Um, and that's been unclear because the terrorist is buying and the is very specific. So does it apply to hiring or not? And they want to say that, so it's a machlaik, so some say yes, some say not. Well, it's discrimination, but... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm not talking about, no, you misunderstand. I'm not talking about turning down uh, someone who applies for the job. That would be against the law. You're right. Yeah. That would be wrong. No, I'm talking about you seeking out someone. Like, right? a, like a contractor here in Yeah. Hill. Should you oh, seek yeah, out Jitsi Cats yeah, for yeah, a plumber yeah. or someone else, right? You're not an employee. Uh-huh. So you're looking, you're looking to hire someone. Is there an achieve to hire a Jew over, over a non-Jew? Um, what? Well, no, no, no. It is a good share to give, but it's a so it's not it's not simple that it's included in the mitzvah. And they say that the question of a broker is the same question because a broker you're not buying anything, right? He's just brokering a deal, so it will depend on the same question. If it applies to things other than buying, it'll apply to brokers as well uh, and lenders. Them, what? Not hiring them to. It's it's that, that's what it is essentially, right? A broker is uh, you're doing a job. You're being hired to, to perform a job so, on behalf of the client. So it will depend on the same question of whether that this concept of of uh, giving business to do. Now again, as I said before, there's a concept of achzak to buy, which is you're supposed to support all Jews. But uh, if a guy's a billionaire, it's Hashem, you know, <laughs> you'll be a billionaire and won't, you won't need anybody's business. But I'm just saying, you know, there, there's always a, a concept of giving someone business, you know, to, to help them out. But, but in terms of this mitzvah, which is a different consideration, that is not so simple that it applies to hiring, even though many players can say yeah, that it does. I'll end with that. <laughs>